Welcome to the AHA Process webinar podcast series. In this installment, Phil Duvall introduces the results of a national study of getting ahead in a just getting by world. Phil, who created Getting Ahead, is joined in this discussion by Beth Waller, author of the study and an assistant professor of social work at Indiana University. I've been looking forward to this for uh, quite some time. Uh, we now have an evaluation of uh, Getting Ahead that uh, I think you're going to find is really impressive. Uh, and I'd like you to meet uh, Dr. Beth Waller first, have her say a few words about herself, and, uh, and then we'll pick it up and get going. So uh, here's Beth Waller. Thanks, Phil. I'm glad to talk to everyone today about this evaluation. I've been a practicing social worker for about 14 years, and I'm a faculty member now at the Indiana University School of Social Work in Indianapolis. And I teach mainly in the Masters of Social Work program. My research has focused, it kind of developed out of my practice experience working with people in poverty who often had a lot of barriers to economic stability and economic progress, including substance abuse, mental health problems, learning problems, and domestic violence. So my research now, at this point in my career, is looking at those issues. So I was glad to to look at some of the um, great work that everyone's doing across the country with getting ahead and to look at some of the outcomes of um, getting ahead for investigators that are going and participating in the program. Thank you, Beth. So here's uh, here are the books, and all of you are probably familiar with these two books. This is uh, what was studied. Uh, and I should say right up front that um, Beth will tell you how many groups were involved in everything, but I want to say thank you uh, to all the sites that took uh, part in this because I know it was an awful lot of work. Um, so thank, thank you very much for all the sites and maybe some of you are on here today. I don't know. The, as I said, we're, I'm really happy with uh, the results of this. It shows that getting ahead really does work. And so I, and, and when we think about the books that we're going to be coming out with or that are new, uh, these are the new books in the series. Uh, these are, I think we can make an argument here that getting ahead might work very well for these books as well. Meaning it's the same methodology, same learning experience, largely the same content. So uh, while we can't say it's 100% that we can you know, guarantee that uh, getting ahead while getting out for reentry or getting ahead in the workplace or investigations in the economic class in America are going to work in each of their settings, uh, it, it is helpful to have this study here now. It, it tells us a lot about what does work. So having um, said that, let's uh, turn it over to uh, Beth and let her take us through these. And uh, every now and then I'll step in and say a few words too, but I'm going to turn it over to Beth. Thanks, Phil. I want to echo what Phil said, that I really appreciate all of the effort of the sites that participated in this and the investigators who were willing to participate in this, because it did require a pretty lengthy survey at two different points in getting ahead. Investigators were asked to complete a survey during their first getting ahead group, and then again in their last getting ahead group, looking at changes that may have occurred over time. So it did take a lot of effort on the part of the sites and the facilitators, and then the investigators who were willing to give their information to help us learn from, from them and what they had to share. So I echo what Phil said about appreciating everyone who participated in this. So this evaluation did grow out of some work that St. Joseph County Bridges was doing in South Bend, Indiana, to try to look and see what kind of changes were occurring in investigators as they participated in getting ahead. And it's a national study that was looking at a number of different things and whether or not they changed. And I'll, I'll address what those things are in just a second. We looked at all it was every United States adult English-speaking getting ahead group that we knew of during the evaluation period, which was from August 1st of last year until the end of July during the, of this year. We, um, Phil had done some work to try to figure out what sites may be conducting groups during those times, during that evaluation period. And he had also sent out an earlier survey asking about model fidelity elements and which sites had made some adaptations to the model and which ones were actually using getting ahead 
it in its entirety the way the the way he had designed. And he asked during his earlier um, kind of polling of the sites, he asked which ones were expecting to hold getting ahead groups during the evaluation period. So we took that list and there were 40 eligible sites that were um, again in the United States with English speaking investigators who were 18 and above and who were following the model fidelity points that Phil's going to talk about in just a second too. Out of those 40, I contacted all of those and invited them to participate. I did find out that several were, they had made some changes um, to the model or they wound up not facilitating groups during the time they thought they would be. So we wound up with 27 sites that were eligible and qualified and holding groups during the evaluation period. And of those 27, 19 chose to participate in the evaluation. So with those 19 sites, there were 45 total getting ahead groups. So sites, some, some sites only had one getting ahead group during the evaluation period, and some had multiple groups during the evaluation period. And with those 45 groups, we wound up with 215 investigators that completed both the baseline, which was during the first getting ahead group, baseline survey, and then the follow-up survey at the end of getting ahead. I was the principal investigator on the study and guided and carried out the research, but I was guided and supported by a getting ahead evaluation team to make sure that I was understanding what getting ahead was about and what kinds of things were important to measure and how getting ahead actually worked and, and was implemented out in the sites. So that team was made up of Bonnie Bazada, who was the director at the time of the St. Joseph County Bridges Out of Poverty in South Bend, then Phil Duvall, Scott Hancock, who was also with St. Joseph County Bridges, and then Carla Crodel. And I'm really appreciative of their feedback and support and guidance through this process as well. So Phil's going to talk for just a second about the model fidelity elements. And again, all sites that were in the study were selected because they were following all of these elements. Right. I thought it was important that, you know, if we're going to study, study something, we should all be doing the same thing. We, need, we don't need any more variables than there are already. So... Uh, these appear in the appendix of the facilitator notes. Many of you are already familiar with them, but I'll just go over them quickly. Uh, we have to have an intention that uh, getting ahead graduates will uh, be, get to the planning tables in our communities, that they become powerful and they get involved. So uh, most of the sites could say that they were already doing that, and some that were new had an intention to do that. So we want people from diverse backgrounds in, in getting ahead, not just uh, people from the exact same experience, but we found that the more diversity in the group, the, the better the conversation the, and more learning takes place. Uh, we wanted to uh, neither add nor delete anything from getting ahead. We know that the learning is uh, sequenced and we need to have all the pieces uh, in there so that we don't have to hit a home run with an idea, but we get to touch it two or three times during the learning process. It's important that those of us that do getting ahead be agenda free with it. In other words, this isn't about uh, getting people to be compliant or to go, go to work or to get a job or whatever. We are basically trusting people to do what they need to do themselves and pick the right solutions so we don't impose anything. Uh, the groups need to be closed because we, uh, have, we start together, end together. There's a lot of uh, building of community during this, and it makes the, a safe learning environment for people when they have that. We also recognize that people have so much to share with us that our communities can use, that we think of them as a focus group, and we pay them for their time and their expertise. We also uh, don't want to coerce people into this. If we're saying to them, uh, Come to Getting Ahead because uh, we need you at the table. Uh, your information is really important. And, and, uh, and then turn around and say, you must come. It's just not consistent. So it's always through attraction and never through coercion. Uh, we don't make the argument for change for people. Uh, during this, uh, people make their own arguments for change. So it's about facilitating and not teaching. And then um, we, we must provide long-term support for people afterwards because it's very hard to get out of poverty. It's not enough to uh, have people just go through getting ahead and, and face the world by themselves. There's so many barriers out there that we have to help them overcome. So uh, the other piece is we want people to be uh, collecting data together if possible. We have 
Empower and Charity Tracker for, for that purpose, but it's very important for us to be part of a learning community and do quality improvement activities as we go. And then we wanted people trained by either myself or from the licensed sites. Uh, we call them local area consultants. Uh, so we knew that there would be a consistency to the training that they got. I'll let Beth take over. Thanks. So that is important to point out that, again, all the sites that were included in this study were following the model fidelity elements. And if sites have made changes, we don't know if those changes could have improved outcomes or could have made some of the outcomes we're going to talk about worse. So um, it's just important to know that every site that was included was following the model. So for the study, we were trying to answer three research questions. One is was looking just in general at what are the benefits of participation in getting ahead. The second one was looking at whether getting ahead was more effective with some subgroups than others. And you'll see in a minute when I present the results that we did look at women versus men. We looked at age subgroups, looking at the younger participants versus the older participants. We looked at racial and ethnic subgroups. We also looked at subgroups and compared outcomes based on whether or not people identified certain barriers like mental health barriers, chemical dependency barriers. Um, and learning problem barriers. And then our third question we were trying to answer was looking at the, the investigators' opinions about getting ahead. So did they find it helpful? And if so, what aspects did they think were most helpful or most useful to them in their lives? So again, we, had, we did a baseline and a follow-up survey. We wound up with 399 investigators that completed the baseline but only 215 of those completed both surveys and were still, they filled out the second survey at the end of, of getting ahead. And we don't know whether the, the investigators that didn't complete both surveys, whether they had actually dropped out of their getting ahead group somewhere along the way or whether they had um, just decided not to fill out the second survey or you know whether they just were missing at the last group but had made it through the whole the whole program, we're not, we don't know, we don't have any information, but we had 215 people that actually completed both surveys. The survey was designed to try to measure changes in several things that we thought might be happening during getting ahead or might be changing during getting ahead. And those were changes in perceived stress and how much stress people felt they were under, changes in mental health and well-being, changes in their amount of hope towards the future, their goal-directed planning and their behavior, whether they were actually making progress or, or making steps to reach their goals. Self-efficacy, which has to do with someone's confidence in their own ability to make changes or to do what they need to do in their life. Um, social support, and then overall functioning, just how well they were functioning in their life, whether they had days that their mental health or physical health was preventing them from being able to do the things they normally wanted to do. So the survey instrument was designed to measure those things. The 215 investigators that wound up in the, in the study, you can see the demographics on this slide. Uh, the 65.6% were white, 15.8% were African American, 8.8% identified as Latino, and 9.3% identified as some sort of other racial or ethnic group. The average age was 37.6 years old. They actually ranged in age from 18 to 72. We had um, the majority of the sample were women. 68.7% were women. 31.3% were men. You can see employment status below gender. And 23.7% were, were employed full-time. 14.9% were employed part-time. 55.8% were unemployed. And then 121 percent identified as students. On the right-hand side of this slide talks about income and they were asked to report all income in their household from all sources including income that they had from benefits like TANF and as would be expected this was a low-income group. We had 22.2 percent of the sample that reported zero dollars in monthly income. 23.6% reported a monthly income between 0 and 500, and 24.1% um, reported an income of 501 to 1,000. And then you can see the, um, of course, it gets smaller from there as we go up in income. And with this household income, they were supporting an average of 
uh, people in their household on that income. So just a, a general overview of the outcomes, 93% of the people in the study said that they found value in getting ahead and they felt like it had been helpful in their lives. And um, I'll talk in just a few minutes about what it was that they found helpful. We also found that they experienced statistically significant improvements in poverty-related knowledge, uh, perceived stress, so their stress actually decreased throughout getting ahead. They saw an improvement in mental health and well-being, in social support, self-efficacy, hope for the future, and then goal-directed behavior and planning. So we saw statistically significant improvements in these, and we were using standardized measures, standardized scales to try to measure these um, constructs. We asked them to identify barriers that they had in their lives, and these are the barriers in order of most to least reported. And you can see from the percentages on the right-hand side that most of the investigators in the sample had multiple barriers. So this is a, a group of people who have multiple and complex barriers. So the, the most commonly reported was bad credit, which 61.4% uh, of the sample reported bad credit. 60.5% reported unemployment. Um, just under half reported difficulty with transportation. 34.4% reported a lack of affordable housing. 34% reported high debt. Then were just under a third reported a physical health problem that was a barrier to them. Just under a third reported a mental health problem that was a barrier. About a quarter reported isolation, social isolation being a barrier. 20% reported underemployment. 19.1% reported no access to a computer as a barrier. 14.9% reported chemical dependency. 10.7% reported a learning problem. 10.7% reported a felony conviction. Uh, same, 10.7% reported unstable work environment, so they had a job but it wasn't stable. Just under 10% reported a lack of affordable childcare, and then just under 10% reported domestic violence as a barrier in their life. How we measured these, um, the different things that we were looking at and examining as part of this investigation is on these next slides. So these were all things that we used to measure overall psychosocial well-being. So we measured stress using something called the Cohen's Perceived Stress Scale, which is 14 different questions that are designed to work together to measure overall perceived stress. And we did see a statistically significant decrease in the, in the amount, excuse me, <coughs> of perceived stress that people felt between beginning and then ending getting ahead. On the right-hand side, it talks about mental health and well-being. We measured mental health and well-being using the mental health continuum short form, which is a 14-item scale that's designed to measure three different pieces of overall mental health. So it measures positive affect and mood, which is just how good someone's feeling and whether they feel happy or satisfied or interested in life. The social well-being subscale measured their sense of belonging and whether they were able to relate to other people socially. Psychological well-being had to do with their sense of purpose in life, overall self-esteem, and whether they felt like they could manage their life well. And scores increased significantly on all three of these subscales. So there were improvements on all three of these things between beginning and ending getting ahead for the investigators in this, in this study. We also measured overall hope using something called the State Hope Scale, which is a six-item scale that also contains two subscales. One that measures goal-directed energy, so how much energy people are putting towards setting goals and thinking about goals. And then also um, the second subscale measured the planning activities that they're doing to begin to accomplish those goals. And we did see a statistically significant increase in both of those subscales as well as in the full-scale measuring hope for the future. So improvements, did, um, improvements were noted for the investigators in their overall hope for the future. They also improved just in whether they were setting goals and um, putting energy towards achieving goals and beginning to plan towards achieving goals. 
We also measured self-efficacy, which again has to do with someone's confidence and their own ability to do the things they need to do in life. And we measured that using the general self-efficacy scale, which is a 10-item scale. And um, there's a typo here. This is, there actually, it's one scale. There aren't subscales with this one. And there was a statistically significant improvement in self-efficacy throughout getting ahead. We looked at social support as part of this research project, and we used the interpersonal support evaluation list, which is a 40-item scale that it's so long because it measures four different types of social support, because sometimes people have social support in one area but not others. So it has four subscales. The first one measures something called appraisal social support, which is just how much social support somebody feels they have in their life in general from other people around them. The second subscale is tangible social support, which has to do with whether they feel like they have people in their lives that can provide material assistance when needed. So if they need, if they need to borrow money from somebody for a bill or if they need a ride to um, an appointment so it's, or if they need somebody to watch their child for them. So it's whether they feel like somebody has assistance that can be offered in times of need. The third type of social support is self-esteem social support. And it has to do with whether the support in people's lives make them feel better about themselves. And then the last type is called belonging social support. And this subscale measures whether or not people feel like they belong to a social group. And between beginning and ending getting ahead, we saw statistically significant increases in all four of these subscales. So there were improvements in all of those areas for the investigators in this sample. Additionally, they reported that they were slightly more likely to know someone from a higher economic class by the end of getting ahead compared to the beginning. We also looked at overall functioning, and this was not measured using a standardized scale like the other things that I was just talking about, but this was measured by asking how many days, we asked them the average number of days in the previous month, did they have poor physical health, the average number of days that they had poor mental health, and then the total number of days in the previous month, their health had prevented them from performing their usual activities. And between beginning and ending getting ahead, there were statistically significant improvements for poor mental health and for the number of days that their health prevented them from performing their usual activities. So we actually saw a decrease poor mental health. When they came into getting ahead, they reported nearly 13 days out of the previous month that their mental health had caused problems for them. And when they left getting ahead, they reported nine days that their mental health had been a problem for them. And then for this third item, when they came into getting ahead, they reported nearly eight days that their health had prevented them from doing the activities that they wanted to. And when they left getting ahead, they were reporting 5.5 days that they had had problems carrying out their normal activities. We also looked at changes in content knowledge, and these questions came from, <coughs> excuse me. We could take a quick break, or, or Phil, I don't know if you could um, just go through these questions really quick, and I'll be right back. I can speak. <laughs> no problem. I can speak to these. I have to say that uh, this report is 53 pages long, and when you get your hands on it, uh, you're going to love going through it. There is an executive summary. I've seen some uh, chats about that. So that's very helpful. Uh, and there are tables that lay all of this out. It's, it's a very, very uh, easy thing to read and, and uh, just packed with information. So the, these items uh, came from South Bend because they were looking at these things too. So they were instrumental in kind of getting these ideas on paper for us. So I know the, the self-sufficiency wage and, and how to find that in my area. So we're becoming more financially literate. Uh, single moms are more likely to live in poverty than other groups. I know how much rent I can afford based on my income. Those of you that have been doing Getting Ahead will recognize these things. I know what a financial predator is and how to avoid them. Uh, I know the maximum interest rate that I can uh, be charged for a loan. Um, I have a plan to reduce debt. I can explain how the economy affects my life. I can switch back and forth between the way I talk with friends and family and the way I talk with professionals. You know, the 
module on language is what we're talking about. I can manage time well. And when I have a conflict, conflict with someone, I'm able to resolve the problems with the person through uh, talking and negotiation. All things uh, that you know, you're going to find in, in people that go through getting ahead, I think. So, uh, and of course, all of that is bro broken down uh, statistically. Um, while we're waiting on Beth, Beth, you can come in whenever you're ready. I'm, I'm back. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Beth. Thank you for taking over, Phil. I'm sorry about that. So we also saw that 40% of the investigators that were in our sample were participating in other services for psychosocial issues. Most of those services were for either mental health or chemical dependency issues. And because those services could also impact some of the things that we were measuring, like mental health and well-being, self-efficacy, social support, things like that, we compared the outcomes for the people who were also participating in other services versus the people who were participating in getting ahead only. And we saw that um, the outcomes were very similar. They weren't a lot better for the group that was partic participating in other services. And they were very similar for people that were just in getting ahead only. The one difference that we did see was that there was more gain in self-efficacy for people who were participating in other services versus those who were participating in getting ahead only. But the people that were in other services for psychosocial issues started out with lower scores to begin with for self-efficacy. If you remember from the beginning, the second research question that we were answering was about the subgroups and whether some subgroups had better outcomes than others. And um, we did see group differences for gender subgroups and also for learning problem subgroups. And I'm going to talk about those just briefly. The details of these differences are um, in a couple slides that are coming up. And those are also in the full report that you can access online or will be able to access online very soon if you can't already. So we did notice some interesting differences for gender subgroups. And men in our sample did not experience the same improvements in mental health self-efficacy, goal-directed behavior and planning, social support, or overall functioning that women did. And I'll, in just a second, I'll show you the slide with the details about that. And also, when we looked at learning problem subgroups, the investigators who identified a learning problem did not experience the same improvements in mental health, overall functioning, or in content knowledge that the investigators without a learning problem um, experienced. So this slide talks about or shows the differences in the scores for men versus women. And again, you can, you can look at the information in the full report. And uh, I won't spend a lot of time on this slide. But you can see that the highlighted scores on the right-hand column are the women's scores. The, um, you've got the women's baseline score when they entered getting ahead, and then the women's follow-up score when they were leaving getting ahead. And if they're highlighted, it means there was a statistically significant improvement in that while in getting ahead. For men, the only things that were significant for them were uh, self-efficacy, which is the one that's hard to see. Or no, I'm sorry. This is overall hope. So this is hope for the future did improve for men between baseline and follow-up. And then also, for social support, only one of the four types of social support, this is self-esteem support, improved for men. And um, they did see an improvement while in getting ahead. But for women, they had improvements in everything that, they, that we were measuring. <clears throat> Similarly, for learning problems, you've got the, this column talks about the baseline score, shows the baseline score for people with a learning problem barrier. This is the follow-up score for people with a learning problem barrier. And then the right-hand two columns are the baseline and follow-up scores for people without a learning problem barrier. And again, you can see from the highlighted um, rows, although again, they're hard to read on this slide, but you can see that people without a learning problem barrier experienced significant improvements in almost every single thing that was measured. But people with a learning problem barrier did not experience a lot of the significant improvements, although they did experience a decrease in perceived stress. They did um, experience changes in hope. 
goal-directed planning, goal-directed behavior, self-efficacy, and then three of the four types of social support. Beth, uh, could I just ask you to explain uh, the asterisks? Uh, there are items with one, two, and three asterisks, and I don't know if it's important to to others, but I think it's just fascinating what that means. That's basically talking about the p-value. Right. When we do tests of statistical significance, we're looking at the chances that the difference we see in this sample of people is actually a valid difference and not just a coincidence. And we calculate something called the p-value. And you can see at the bottom that one asterisk, asterisk means a p-value was less than 0.05, two means it's less than 0.01, and three means it's less than 0.001. And what that means, to kind of put it in human terms, human language, is if we have a p-value of less than 0.005, that means we can be 95% sure that the, the difference that we see in these scores was a valid difference, that there actually was a change that occurred between beginning and ending getting ahead. If we see a p-value of less than 0.001, that means we can be 99.9% .9 sure that the difference we're seeing in scores on these different scales are actually valid changes that happened in people that were in this study. So you can see most of these, for women in particular, were highly significant. There are three, you know, it indicates that it was significant at less than 0.001. So we can be 99.9% .9 sure that the differences we're seeing were actual actual changes that happened in participants across um, their participation in getting ahead. Okay, we did look at group comparisons for um, Caucasian participants versus non-Caucasian participants for age subgroups based on, um, we looked at the, the median age was 35, so we compared people who were 35 and above with people who were 35 and below. Um, we compared based on whether they had a self-reported mental health barrier, whether they had a self-reported chemical dependency barrier, and then we also looked at whether there were differences based on whether the site was in a rural or urban area. And there were no meaningful differences between these subgroups found. So the only differences in the subgroups were the ones that I just presented based on learning problems and then also gender. <clears throat> <clears throat> Okay, so those were the outcomes. Those were the changes that we noticed between beginning and ending getting ahead for the investigators in this sample. Then the, the last research question we were answering was about whether they felt like this had been helpful to them. And if so, what did they think were the most important parts of getting ahead? So they were asked to identify their um, the top five most important components of getting ahead. And the top five were the 11 resource areas completing the self-assessment, developing their own individualized plan for building resources. And then the, the next two have to do with the makeup of their group. So they thought having good facilitators was really important and also having a welcoming, comfortable group environment. So those were the top five most important pieces of getting ahead or, or components of getting ahead. They were then asked to identify uh, from a checklist of which pieces of getting ahead they felt like would be most useful going forward. So which ones did they think they would actually use in their lives? And so 77.2% said that the ways to build resources was the most useful that they would use in their lives going forward. 67% felt like information about the hidden rules was useful in their lives and something they would actually use after they left getting ahead. 65% talked about the change or identified the change process and talking about the theory of change and stages of change as being something that was useful for their life. 62% said mental models. 62% uh, felt like the 11 resource areas were one of the most useful components. 62% said the self-assessment was one of the most useful components. And then 61% identified the information about the rich-poor gap as being one of the most useful components that they would actually apply to their life in the future. So those were the pieces of getting ahead that they felt like were important and useful. 
So from this, you know, kind of summarizing everything, we can determine that investigators are leaving getting ahead with an increased knowledge of themselves, increased knowledge of the resources that they need in order to move forward economically in their life, and they're leaving with an individualized plan for beginning to increase their resources. I'll talk in just a minute about what these um, kind of what these findings mean a little bit more, and I also see some comments about the I see some questions about the gender differences, so um, we can talk a little bit about that too. But I just want to point out quickly that all studies, any research study that's that's done has some sort of limitation that comes up where we at the end can't be 100% sure that the outcomes we find would apply to every other person in getting ahead or we can't be 100% sure that the outcomes we found were due to getting ahead. So in this case, um, this was a convenient sample. So this may not represent all getting ahead investigators everywhere. We don't know if there were differences about people that happened to be at these sites during this period of time compared to some of the other sites that you all may be working in or some of the other investigators that you may see. So it's important to know that while we while these findings suggest that these changes do occur for people in getting ahead, you may see some different outcomes in your own sites depending on the people in the sample. Um, also, some participants may have answered in a certain way because they thought that was expected of them. However, that's not likely because there was a, you know, a period of time that passed between when they answered the first questions on the baseline survey and when they answered the questions at the end. Um, and they probably were not going to remember what they said at the first survey to be able to answer differently the second time. And then we don't have a comparison group, so we can't really compare these outcomes to people that weren't in um, getting ahead, which is part of what you need to ultimately establish whether the outcomes we saw are completely caused by this intervention. But even with those limitations, we can be um, pretty sure that these the findings that we saw do suggest that there are some some significant outcomes happening for people in getting ahead. That not only are they improving in poverty-related knowledge or content knowledge that we're teaching as part of the curriculum, but getting ahead also appears to be facilitating at least short-term improvements in mental health and well-being, stress, hope, goal-directed planning and behavior, social support, and self-efficacy. And those things are really important because all of these things that were measured are related in, in research to, they're predictive of better outcomes for people. They're predictive of people being more motivated. They're predictive of people having longer lives, better health, being able to overcome mental health problems, chemical dependency problems. These things are all really important for helping people have a better quality of life and also a better, um, just a better life in general. And certainly gaining well-being, support from other people, a sense of personal power, and a newfound perceived ability to conquer obstacles that lie in one's way certainly can only benefit people who may have previously felt quite powerless in their lives. So this study, though, brings up more questions for the future. We want to know, because this only measured these changes happening between beginning and ending getting ahead, so we don't know whether these improvements actually translate to long-term improvements or, or long-term change. So future questions that should be addressed in research are whether these changes and these improvements actually lead to changes in job searching, changes in education seeking, or the ability to overcome barriers to economic stability, such as mental health problems, chemical dependency, and intimate partner violence. And also with so many structural barriers to overcoming poverty, do these individual changes help perpetuate the long-term motivation and perseverance that somebody would need to begin to, to climb over some of those structural barriers? So those are future questions for research. Um, future research should look at the long-term impact of getting ahead, whether these these short-term changes actually still are there three months or six months or one year or five years down the road. Also, future research should look at the reasons for the gender differences because we aren't sure why those gender differences occurred in this sample. Um, and we really, you know, it brings up a lot of other questions about why 
why men did not see the same improvements that women did in these groups. And future research should look at ways to improve outcomes for people with learning problems that are in getting ahead. For practice, for, for sites and organizations that are carrying out getting ahead in the communities, high, the implications of this program or, that high, or of this evaluation are that high quality programs should make sure you're following model fidelity, first of all, because we don't know how changes in the model affect changes in the outcomes. Um, high quality programs should ensure they recruit strong facilitators and are making sure facilitators are properly trained since investigators felt like that was one of the most important components of their program. They should ensure that they create a welcoming environment, have ways to connect investigators with community resources to assist with overcoming barriers, <clears throat> should have a process for finding out why investigators don't finish the program if possible, particularly since some of those reasons may be because of some of these barriers and should screen for learning problems and make accommodations if needed. So if people are coming into the program with learning problems that can be identified, then the facilitators need to be aware so they can try to adapt or modify the group to make sure that people are understanding as much of the material as possible. I'm gonna turn things over to Phil. I think he's gonna talk about how to use, utilize the study and where you can access the study. Okay, thank you, Beth. Well, I think you'll agree that um, you know, the study really shows a lot of wonderful positive results. And, you know, I'm really thrilled about that. And I'm sure that we'll be talking about what to do with uh, the issues about, around people with learning uh, issues and with men. All of that is yet to be worked on. But you, you are probably thinking, how are we going to utilize the study? So we've created a press release for you that you can um, get at this website. And uh, it is, it's got blank spaces in there, so you can just fill in the blanks for yourself. And, and if you already have getting at graduates, you can put their stories in. So there's a press release that you can use. Uh, you know, we suggest that you share it. There's instructions that go with that. So that's the second uh, attachment there. Uh, so we, we suggest that you use this with funders, of course, and people in your community and whatnot. Uh, also elected officials, state representatives and the like. Uh, is you know there's lots of ways that you can uh, use this information and send them the study uh, and of course they can come to this uh, website and, and hear this webinar you know done by Beth so the study is available here and uh, I suggest you get it print it read it and you know really digest it on your own and then of course you know we can use uh, all kinds of social media to get the word out and uh, I've mentioned most of those already so we really hope they make really good use of this I want to, um, and I'll leave that up in case you, you know, want to jot down uh, any any thoughts on this. What I would like to do is just say real briefly, we have slides on this, but we're running out of time, that there is another study that is going to be conducted soon, is in the process, and it's being done by Case Western Reserve University in, in uh, Cleveland, and it's paid for by the Ohio workers of, uh, let's see, I want to get the term right, uh, workers' Compensation, the Bureau of Workers' Compensation has paid for this grant, and it will be uh, in the study, and it will be done with uh, healthcare workers, low-wage healthcare workers in five different facilities in Cleveland. So that'll be the next study. That'll move us one step closer to having uh, getting have become evidence-based. So think of the study that uh, Dr. Waller has done as uh, the first step. We'll have a second and then a third, and eventually we'll have this uh, recognized as an evidence-based program. So we have a few minutes left. Uh, David, let's open it up so we can take questions. And, um, and, and while we're listening to people talk, we'll kind of look at what's been written out and invite people to, uh, or ourselves, to get into that conversation. Okay, fine. I saw right. a couple questions come through asking uh, whether or not you have any theories as to why men and women didn't demonstrate the same uh, amount of improvement in the study. Obviously, it'd probably be conjecture, but uh, yeah, I did see I've, that question. I will ask Beth to respond to that, but let me just say that all the women in my life don't seem to think that there's any confusion about why men don't do better. But I'll, I'll let... <laughs> well, it really is conjecture. We're, we're not sure. I looked at, once we saw these findings, the research 
evaluation team and I talked about some possibilities and I looked further into the data to see if there were any differences in the men in our sample versus the women. And I looked at whether men had or reported more barriers than women. So did they have more learning problems, which I saw was one of the questions that came up on the side. Um, did they have more mental health problems, substance abuse problems? Did they have more barriers that could cause problems with participating or gaining something from getting ahead? And they did not. Um, there really were no other differences that we could see that would impact the outcome. So that's something that really needs to be studied further in other research because we don't know if it was something different about those groups, something different about the men in particular that wound up in the sample. You know, we really don't know. Now, I do know from other topics, uh, from uh, research in other areas, that sometimes women make changes in their lives based on relationships and group processes work really well sometimes for women. And in, in certain areas, men don't benefit as much from the social piece of things. So I don't know, and again, this is purely conjecture, and we, we really don't know what's going on that would contribute to men um, having poorer outcomes in this study. And again, it could just be something related to the people that wound up in this study and it needs to be examined further. We certainly can't run with this and say that getting ahead doesn't work for men um, because there's there's not, this these findings don't imply that. They just need, it just implies that we need some more study to figure out what's going on and if that is still the finding in another study that looks at gender differences. A number of people have asked if if uh, there were groups that were just men and just women. Can you tell us about that, Beth? Uh, sure. Groups. Some groups were gender specific across the whole sample. So some groups were women only, and some were men only, and some were were mixed. And um, you know, again, I I don't know if that would change the outcome because we had. When you start splitting the sample into smaller groups, sometimes you wind up with such tiny groups of people that it's hard to get any information or make any assumptions from that. So um, I do know that there weren't any more men in gender-specific groups than there were women in gender-specific groups. So it was pretty equivalent. Thank you. David, did you pick any other questions off of there? I saw, I've seen a couple questions. This one from Mike, but I saw it two or three times about um, the specific pre and post questionnaire that was used, if that's available. We can make that available if that's something that people are interested in. Um, I can send that to Phil or David and they can post that with the results of the study if people are interested in seeing the actual survey that was used. Okay, that's that would be cool. Um, let's look here through. I think, so I think we hit all the gender questions. Um, there was an interesting question that maybe you don't have the answer to about the proportion of, while, while we're still on gender, about the proportion of male versus female facilitators leading the classes, which is an interesting question, but I don't know if the data would have that in there. That That's a really interesting question that actually could have impacted the outcomes, but we don't have that. The survey didn't ask anything about the, the gender of the facilitator. Okay, so I think then we've caught up on questions. If you have any more questions, folks, now would be a great time there in the chat on the left-hand side. Yeah. I see a comment about how this is excellent material that can be used in grant applications, and I do think that's a good thing to point out, that hopefully this is useful to all of you that are facilitating getting ahead and, and conducting getting ahead groups in your communities, because you can use this information to talk about what changes have been observed in getting ahead participants and hopefully it will help you be able to bring in funding for your local organizations. You know, I think that there are certain pages in this report that I that I highlight and I have post-it notes hanging off of and everything and and I think you'll do the same when you get into this. Uh, so I really encourage you to read it in depth uh, so that you can answer questions for people. I think this is a is going to be so helpful for bridge of sites across the U.S. to take to funders and to uh, when we write grants, as, as Beth was already saying, this is going to be a huge help. There's a question from Deborah about planning to update the GEO facilitator training. I believe the, the it was updated fairly recently. Is that right, Phil? Yeah, I mean, it's always a work in progress. Uh, we keep moving forward, you know, 
uh, so we're into new books and and uh, you know for reentry, the book for the workplace, and so on. Uh, and you know, I think that uh, when we talk about model fidelity, we need to be able to leave room for innovation. I don't mean to stifle innovation, but uh, you know, when I asked for model fidelity, but we wanted to have a study that shows what you know what we think is the model, and then see if we're actually delivering on it. That doesn't mean that we can't uh, innovate in the future and do things differently. So all of that, uh, I think we have a pretty vibrant learning community. We do talk with each other quite a bit at conferences and in webinars and in training ses sessions and so on. So I think uh, we want to keep that up. Um, Richard is uh, asking, yeah. Phil, if there are any surprises for you in the reporting? For me? I, I think one surprise was the number of people that didn't complete, 56%. Uh, and we don't know what the reasons were. As Beth said, they might not have been there that day or something as simple as that. But uh, we know there are, there are cities where that have put 700 people through getting ahead. And it's not like we're not tracking that kind of thing. And what we're hearing consistently is that the completion rate for people going into getting ahead is like 80%. So this that is one thing that really does surprise me. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised about uh, men as well. I mean, I know what's happening with the prison book, and we keep getting really strong feedback from, you know, gender-specific groups, all men, that are in, and in prison, where it's going to be pretty hard to develop a, a really safe environment to have a conversation. Uh, they seem to be really enjoying this learning methodology where they get to talk about things and not be taught at. Uh, so I'm a little surprised about uh, the piece on the men, um, but you know we can uh, look into it, and uh, maybe in the next study that we dive into, we can you know try to suss some of that out. I know time is coming fast here, and I just want to point out that if you download the full report, my email address is on the first page, and if anybody looks at the report and has questions about what something means or um, how something was done with the research, please feel free to, to email me and I'll be glad to clarify that for you. Expect to get swamped, Beth. <laughs> uh, that's a really kind offer. But I think, you know, it, this just gets you thinking, doesn't it? I mean, when I'm sure all of you are just going, wow. And when you get into it, all these questions will come up. So. Um, really invite you to dig in. I want to thank Beth for doing a great job. It was uh, very easy to work with her. I want to thank the team that helped us and uh, appreciate. Uh, we, we don't disclose who the groups were that were uh, participating in this. So, But I, I want you all to know that we're very, very appreciative. Beth, do you have any final words for folks? No, I just echo your thanks again, and, and thank you for funding this evaluation and for supporting this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank, thank you to both of you for uh, taking the time to give the webinar. We do appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thanks again. This has been an AHA Process webinar podcast. Visit ahaprocess.com for more. Royalty-free music courtesy of Sound.com.